It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson. The most important story. That seems to me like government is establishing a religion. The latest in politics and world affairs. If you give people rights, women's rights, gay rights, whatever, there can't be equal rights if there's special rights. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Surveys show that, that people still really prefer freedom versus force. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, and we have a fabulous show planned for you today. Uh, We're going to be talking with Ross Izzard. He is the Director of Policy with ACE Scholarships regarding the uh, Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue case that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear, and this is uh, regarding... Basically, families getting to have the choice of where they send their kids to school. And uh, it'll be taking into account the Blaine Amendment, which many of you may be familiar with. We'll talk more about that in segments three and four. Uh, Very, very important regarding education here in America. And uh, as we we start, first of all, Steve, did you have a good Independence Day? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> As I, I did my little weather thing earlier, I specified what a great weekend it was, great time of celebration. I just could have done without the hail. Yeah, you and I live relatively close to each other, and we had golf, by, golf ball size hail at uh, at our house. And, and I was just thinking about all the people that were down at the park waiting for the uh, uh, fireworks. I, I mean, it came in fast. And, you know, um, people with families, I mean, it was it was kind of tough. I can't imagine in a big open space like that where there's really not a lot of shelter. Uh, maybe <laughs> I said last night to somebody who's asking about it, this is the one time you gladly step into a porta potty. <laughs> <laughs> How many people can you get in a porta potty? I guess that's the thing. <laughs> they might have been some record set. <laughs> that's that's for sure. So anyway, I had had a really great Independence Day. It was quite a celebration. And, uh, Steve, you know, we are lucky to live here in the United States of America, and we need to start to talk about things that unify us instead of the things that divide us. And uh, so that's one of the things that we continue to work for is to have conversations about these important events and issues and things that are out there. So, first of all, uh, socialism is uh, getting is being romanced these days, particularly by all of the candidates that are running for president on the Democrat ticket. Uh, But a reminder, uh, the kids are coming home from college and and, uh, their professors have been romanticizing socialism. Socialism is force. And when you you have two choices, you have freedom versus force, force versus freedom. It's never compassionate to take away other people's rights, their property, or their freedom via force, whether it's with a weapon, policy, or unpredictable and excessive taxation. And frequent guest Stephen Kessler, Ph.D., asked three questions of socialists. Do you have any skin in the game? Are we bringing people up or are we yanking them down? And you felt good, but did you do good? And uh, relative to (laughs) did you have any skin in the game, Um, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was a professor at Harvard, apparently she was paid uh, north of $400,000 a year, to be a professor is advocating for free college. And Charlie Kirk 
had uh, tweeted out this weekend that if she really was uh, so in favor of free college, why didn't she teach for free? I mean, that's really the question. She wasn't willing to be to treat uh, to teach for for free. However, somehow, someplace, somebody's going to be their money's going to be taken to uh, pay for these college educations where she was making north of $400,000. What's wrong with that picture? That's the big question. So um, we are seeing the socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. So we need to be vigilant, and we need to be pushing back on that. So first of all, thank you to Steve, Zach, Patty, and Keith for your good work. And to all of you listeners there, thank you so much for listening and each of you are valued and treasured. So our inspiration for today and we're, we're, our education theme, Abigail Adams. She said, learning is not attained by chance. It must be sought for with ardor and attended to with diligence. Again, learning is not attained by chance. It must be sought for with ardor and attended to with diligence. So, Steve, are you ready for the funnies? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, a little boy wasn't getting good marks in school. So one day he made the teacher quite surprised. He tapped her on the shoulder and said, I don't want to scare you, but my daddy says if I don't get better grades, somebody's going to get a spanking. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's humor in that, but uh, <laughs> if you're going to be on the uh, ride the political. Politi- politically correct fence there's a lot to be said (laughs) i only took it all at face value so a couple of things today uh until uh, you have until tomorrow after the show to still sign up for the drawing for this fabulous ride this next friday morning on a world war ii bomber and steve i have new details on this you have to be up at the uh Colorado Northern, the regional airport up in Loveland by 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be there. And we get to take a private plane from uh, Loveland to Casper, and then we get to ride one. It's either going to be a B-17, a B-24, or a B-25 from Casper to Loveland. Now, does that not sound like, like a cool thing? I have a friend at another station here in town. He got to ride the, uh, the B-17 uh, several years ago out of Centennial, and he I guess somebody else was with him who was able to take pictures of him looking out like the gun, the waste gunner's turret or uh, the waste gunner's position. And it's such a cool picture. And Um, I'm just sure it was the thrill of a lifetime. It's going to be pretty darn cool. So if you're interested in signing up for the drawing, we're going to draw tomorrow after the show. Uh, Go to my website and sign up and uh, we'll put your name in the drawing and uh, we'll see if you're a winner on that. Another thing, we're coming in uh, on the very end here regarding have you signed the petition to get the national popular vote on the ballot? If you have not, go to coloradansvote.org. That's coloradansvote.org. And it has all the different locations where you can go to sign the petition. And basically, this is to get this question on the ballot. And the bottom line is this. Should Colorado's votes for president Should they go to California and New York and Chicago, or should our vote and our voice stay right here for Colorado? So that's really the question that is on the table there. And then also go to my website, uh, americhicks.com. Patty Kurgan has written a fabulous 
an important piece regarding Proposition CC, which is an attack on Tabor, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. So be sure and go take a look at that. It really explains what's going on. So let's talk a little bit about Tabor here, Steve. Uh, First of all, John Caldera in the Denver Post, he said the Republican pigeons for Polis could betray Tabor and give the governor a special session win. Uh, After that particular piece came out and probably put some pressure on some of these folks, uh, Mike Krause had reported in Complete Colorado. And go to completecolorado.com and be sure that what they do is they aggregate stories from all over the state. And so very quickly you can go through and see what is going on in Colorado. And then if you will actually click on the banner up at the top, then you can see a number of different uh, op-eds and editorials that they have done. I'm glad you mentioned that because at face value, when you first get to the first page, you might think that the aggregate is all there really is. Mm -hmm. There is so much good stuff once you click on the banner as well. That's for sure. And so um, Mike Krause had written in Complete Colorado that Polis hits the Republican wall over the special season, uh, special, special session, and it's a Monday morning, isn't it, deal on uh, taxpayers' bill of rights. It says, efforts earlier this week by Governor Polis to gin up support among Republicans for a special legislative session and a deal to keep excess revenue under the taxpayers' bill of rights taper hit a wall of resistance with the entire House Republican caucus, as well as Senate Republican leadership, rejecting the idea. One of the ideas being floated involved replacing Proposition CC, which is this uh, proposition that that Patty had written about, and it faces an uphill battle on the November ballot with a measure that would trade an income tax rate reduction in return for the state keeping all excess revenue for the next decade. Now, this is pretty astounding. There must be a bunch of bucks on the table if that's what they want to do. It says two recent forecasts from the governor's office and legislative council staff put the surplus revenue that the state must refund to taxpayers at between $1.2 billion and $1.3 billion over the next three years. Pollster Floyd Cerulli is regarded as having his thumb on the pulse of Colorado voters, recently cast serious doubt on the measure passing in his blog. As the 2018 election highlighted, Colorado Colorado voters tend to be sympathetic to many local tax proposals, including Tabor overrides for schools, counties, municipalities, and others. But they're very skeptical of state tax increases, wrote Cerulli. A statewide permanent timeout is likely to suffer from the same voter distrust, distrust of state government. Now, Steve, we continue to mention that Tabor, Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, is basically about good manners. It's about consent, what it says to politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties. Three things. Hey, if you want to raise taxes, you just have to ask us. Number two, if you want to incur debt that we're going to have to pay off, you just have to ask us. And number three, if you want to keep excess revenue over a very generous formula of population plus inflation. So that doesn't mean that... that, the tax revenues don't go up. They can. But anything above that uh, needs to be refunded back to the taxpayers. In essence, what this Proposition CC is asking is saying, hey, we want your tax refunds forever. And so not only would you be speaking for yourself, but you would be speaking for the next generations. And there's something that's, that's unvirtuous about doing that. And uh, Colorado has plenty of money. It's not that we don't have a revenue problem. 
we have uh, a tax problem, I think. So I think that that is very interesting. Now, another thing that you need to be aware of very quickly is, uh, as many of you probably had seen in Lakewood, uh, the, um, the growth initiative passed to limit growth in Lakewood. And, boy, they're coming back around. They're saying there's a proposed ballot measure which would limit development in 11 Colorado counties. And this is from the Denver Channel. It says, one day after voters in Lakewood decided to slow down residential growth and cap it at 1% per year, a ballot language hearing on Wednesday, that was right before the 4th of July, discussed the possibility of asking voters in 11 counties across Colorado whether they want to do the same thing. Initiative 109 was created by Daniel Hayes, the Golden resident who proposed a similar growth cap in Golden back in the 1990s. This proposal would limit growth in Adams, Arapahoe, Boulder, Broomfield, Denver, Douglas, Elbert, El Paso, Jefferson, Larimer, and Well counties for two years. After that, individual counties could choose to amend or repeal the initiative. Can you believe that? I see a trend being born, <laughs> or at least I, I, you know, and I'm going to tip my hand here in terms of the way I view this, but I, I see a trend coming, and I, I kind of well, would welcome it, because I, I'm still convinced the state growth is still pretty much out of control, and the state is woefully behind in, in the uh, infrastructure act aspects, either creating new infrastructure or taking care of what we already have. Okay, Steve, we're going to have to address that. Let's go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that, okay? Okay, before we do that, the, oh my gosh, the Rockies. What happened? Uh, they're on a nine-game losing streak being swept by the Diamondbacks over the weekend, and they have fallen under 500 at the same time. And so the All-Star break is Tuesday night, and then the Cincinnati Reds come to face the Rockies on Friday. And Hooters is the place to be this summer to watch all these games. You can enjoy Hooters beach-worthy seafood items like amazing fish tacos, delicious snow crab legs, and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. Hooters has plenty of ice-cold beer options to help cool you down this summer. And then additional things, I love this, nine items for $9, 11 to 3 p.m., Monday through Friday. You can choose from nine delicious menu items, such as fish and shrimp tacos, salads, cheeseburger, Philly cheesesteak, and, of course, their boneless wings. So you can dine in for those, or you can get wings to go, or you can have them delivered right to your front door. For more information, visit HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. Let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. We'll be right back. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland for sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. In Denver and Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Denver and YourTownTaxpayers.com for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. 
You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Steve, I think we need to have a conversation about this growth initiative thing that I just mentioned. Uh, In the last segment... Uh, mentioned that there has been a proposed ballot measure that would limit development in 11 Colorado counties. And um, I would submit to you that government has made this the problem. But let's kind of go through this. You you said you kind of like the idea of limiting growth here in the metro area? I That's that's a strong language. But, uh, I mean, what what's the, the phrase? Stand back and take a good stand back. And just take a look at, at what's going on. Uh, I, I'm looking at these particular highway projects that are close by us that seem to go on and on and on. Uh, and they didn't finish that one before they started another one down on I-25, you know, to, going mm-hmm. towards the springs. I, I had the joy of riding through that over the weekend. So infrastructure, I guess, is where I'm uh, hitting on. Whether new proposed uh, infrastructure or taking care of uh, what's already out there. Uh, we're not, I don't know that our grades are, are that good on this, on this particular aspect of it. So when you talk about more and more development, uh, there's, there's too, there seems to be too many times where developers can come in and they put up, what, what's that? You have a catchphrase for the type of apartments. <laughs> uh, uh, building tomorrow slums today. <laughs> well, that's one of it, but there's, there's another one you use frequently that I like too, that mm-hmm. describes the situation and you know, okay, that's the, it's more housing. The more people come, but the it's the same old infrastructure, and we wonder why we can't go from point A to point B without consuming half a day. Okay, let's see if I can bite some of this off because I think first of all, uh, what you are mentioning something is is a frustration with um, our roads, the congestion, con- the congestion on the roads, and I would submit to you that what you just mentioned regarding construction. If, in fact, uh, the construction projects were done more efficiently and they worked them 24-7, that you could get those things done and then you would, still, you would actually be able to free up those particular lanes. People still like to travel in their own personal vehicles. There is such a movement by the politicians and pundits and interested parties to move you out of your car, but yet they want to stay in their car. And so their answer to uh, reducing congestion is to get you out of your car and put you on a train, a bicycle, or a bus. And you know what? That doesn't really work for, say, families that... um, you know, we're trying to get, get kids back and forth to soccer practice, dance, variety of things like that. It doesn't work for me to try to, to, to get over here to work. It doesn't work for, it doesn't work for that, that guy that has his pickup and has his tools in the back that's creating a business. That doesn't work for them. And so instead of government coming in and making choices on that and trying to push people out of their vehicles, government needs to start to do a better job of what they're supposed to do. CDOT is supposed to be uh, taking care of our roads and bridges. And instead, they are, again, they're, they're, um, in fact, I was at a meeting where I heard the uh, head of CDOT speak, and she uh, basically said, we want to get people out of their cars. Wait a minute. Why don't you start to do your road projects in a more efficient manner? 
Why don't you work 24-7 to get these things done? If, in fact, there is an accident, uh, I was headed south yesterday, and there was an accident northbound on I-25, and and so traffic was backed up two or three miles. Now, I don't know quite what the accident was, but if it's just a fender bender or something, get get that off to the side of the road. Instead, there was a, a fire truck that had, you know, two or three lanes stopped, and it just makes it so in- inconvenient for everybody. And I think that sometimes, Steve, this is by design, because if we get frustrated enough, they're hoping that we are going to vote for tax increases. They hope that we are going to vote to get rid of Tabor because they say that they're going to, quote-unquote, fix transportation. Next thing, regarding uh, if, in fact, you reduce supply and you continue to bring people in, then people that own homes right now, those values are going to go up. But you know what? How is it going to work for our young people? They're not going to be able to afford to get into these houses, and people that want to move won't be able to, to move to someplace because, uh, because they won't be able to afford you know, a new place, generally. And so whenever you have government that is reducing supply, and they're also increasing demand through quote-unquote, economic development by giving, you know, some businesses, let me, I need to rephrase this because Helen Raleigh had challenged me, instead of giving, government doesn't give anything, government takes. So, uh, in essence, if government says to big business, A, we're going to take less in taxes, we are going to uh, help you get get around some of the, uh, like the environmental studies or whatever, if you'll come here, you may not have to pay business personal property tax. But hey, little mom and pop uh, outfit over here, you still have to pay full fare. So you've got quote unquote economic development that's bringing businesses in and they're not paying their full fare. And that is putting pressure on schools and roads and education. So instead of this growth initiative, how about let's get government out of picking winners and losers. Let's have government do their job more efficiently. And then perhaps uh, we'll have the kind of growth that we really need to have, which is good, responsible growth that the free market will take care of. What do you think, Steve? Dare we talk about uh, another stimulus to this particular subject that came down in 2014? has to do with a certain cash crop legalization. (laughs) Marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I hate to say it. I hate to even go here, but take a ride down where I I used to work for 12 years, uh, uh, an office uh, right along the uh, I-25 in the 23rd Avenue area there by the uh, Children's Museum and what else, you know, Bronco Stadium in that area. Mm -hmm. Nobody who has any familiarity with downtown at all in the last 10 years would deny the number of apartments going up in that area. I mean, everywhere you look, that used to be either 100-year-old houses standing and had been knocked down, putting up big apartments, high-density housing and stuff. And, you know, every developer around the country was watching what was going on in Colorado, Mm -hmm. uh, saying, hey, I need to get there because there's money to be made because of the legalization of marijuana. Well, there is certainly that. And then, of course, these same politicians and pundits and and interested parties wring their hands about, quote unquote, affordable housing. But uh, if you look at the National Board of Realtors website, uh, there it indicates that at least 25 percent of the cost of housing 
uh, goes to rules and regulations. So one of the ways that we can reduce the cost of housing to, is actually reduce the rules and regulations associated with building houses. But wait a minute. That means that the politicians, pundits, and interested parties are not in control. But, Steve, when you're mentioning all of these apartment buildings, there is no way for people to create wealth when they are actually having to pay rent. Uh, It used to be that people could get uh, their foot in the door with a condominium, you know, and start to create some equity. And then they could sell that condominium and hopefully move, you know, into, uh, you know, a house and, and create wealth for themselves. But now with this high cost of housing and you see this again, this push, all these apartment buildings is they want to put these near uh, transit stations because they want to make sure that they can get people on these trains and buses and bikes. But what is so interesting, when I was coming over here this morning, I saw an RTD bus go around the corner, not a person on it. Now, once again, if you want to reduce congestion, why don't you get some of those buses off that don't have any people on them? Get those off the road. What do you think about that, Steve? <laughs> well, you're going to maybe go out there again. I, I pass the H line uh, every morning over here on 225. Four cars and maybe three or four people on a, all, four com- all four cars combined, maybe four people. Right. And so uh, so we'll continue to talk about this, but I don't think that government and limiting growth is the solution. I think that uh, I think the solution is to actually get government out of the way and get more to a free market situation. But uh, let's go over. Let's talk to Jason McBride. Uh, The jobs report uh, was two hundred twenty four thousand jobs were added. It was um, way above expectations. So Jason McBride, presidential wealth management. First of all, did you have a good Independence Day? Oh, I had a wonderful Independence Day, and uh, the whole week was uh, very interesting. I didn't have to crawl out of bed early. It was nice. <laughs> and, oh, I got to say, yesterday was my mom's birthday. Oh, happy so birthday happy to birthday your mother. To my mom. Um, I, you know, tried to do what uh, uh, John Hickenlooper said he did with his mom, and I asked her if she wanted to go see a porno movie with me, and she said no. It was the strangest thing. And I, for those of you that haven't heard that, I saw that. That was absolutely um, astonishing. He said that he took asked his mom if she wanted to go to, I think, Deep Throat or something like that, and she said no. It's like, what on earth would possess somebody to ask their mom to do that? I, anyway. no, I thought he asked his wife to go, and she said no, so he actually went with his mom. Oh, is that what happened? Or he asked somebody to go, and they said no. And his, I, I don't want to put out fake news, but that's what I thought I heard. Maybe we'll have Steve check that out, and we'll, we'll try yeah. to find out and, and confirm that for you. So, Well, what yeah. about this jobs report? What do you think about that? Well, I thought it was real interesting, because if you remember last month when the jobs report came out, uh, it came in a little bit lower than expected. Mm-hmm. We only had 75,000 new jobs added. And, you know, I said, I bet you it just bounces right back as happy as, you know, the left is to hear the rotten jobs report now. They'll be just as depressed a month from now. And certainly they are. We had a good, solid jobs report. Uh, the unemployment rate, though, ticked up by a tenth of a percent. And again, there's that labor participation rate, Kim, which mm-hmm. also ticked up a little bit, I think, to like 62.9%. And, you know, when you think about that, one of the interesting things is when you really think about it, 62.9% of the people 
that are able to work, that could work, are working. That's like three-eighths, you know, over a third of the entire possible workforce is either choosing to not even try to work. Well, I guess they're choosing to not even try to work. I don't know what other reason there would be. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a that's a big question. And, you know, Jason, one of the things that, you know, I've been reading a lot about the founding of America. And one of the things that was so important was in being industrious, you know, working, right. working was held up. Uh, I, I'm going to date myself. Well, actually, I think Snow White, you know, the Disney movie Snow White came out in the 30s. But I remember, you know, she did this song, you know, whistle while you work. I mean, work was held up as something that was a good thing. And, um, I, and and it really is. I think deep down people know that. There's real dignity in work, and one of the most compassionate things that one man can give to another is a job because I think of the dignity of work. Now, now certainly there is a very small percentage of people that, that can't work and need right. help, and we used to handle that with charity instead of these big, massive government programs. Well, we did, and uh, I can't remember every single way that they... Uh, count the participation rate, but I think it accounts for folks that, that actually cannot work. Uh, I'd have to check that again, Kim. Oh, we had a detailed discussion on it, and I can't remember every single detail, I admit it. Well, neither can I, Jason, but we're doing our best, you know it? <laughs> well, well, that's all we can do. But you know what really matters, Jason, to people is their own personal economy, and that is what you and your colleagues at Presidential Wealth Management specialize in. Well, we do. We want your money to have a good job and work hard for you. Uh, you know, occasionally, you know, the markets do what they do, and uh, your money might take a, uh, a day off or even get laid off for a while, but hopefully you're, you're, it's employed most of the time and growing for you and getting bigger. And ultimately, you know, the goal, Kim, is to create what we like to call a play check for when you're retired, uh, you've put in your work and kind of earned the right to take it a little bit easier. We want to make sure that you still get that, that paycheck every month and, and have the least amount of worry about it so you're, you can live your golden years instead of your years worrying about running out of money. Sounds like a great idea. So if you would like to have Jason take a look at your nest egg, just to give you kind of a, a read on, on where you are, be sure and check out chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. And, Jason, we will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, Kim. Thanks so much. And we, indeed, this next conversation, Ross Izzard is on the line with us. He is the Director of Policy with ACE Scholarships. And there is something that is really big that is going to be happening at the Supreme Court. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Social media is important to the Americhicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at Americhicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the Americhicks radio show. 
Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Thrilled to be having a conversation with Ross Izzard. He is the director of policy with ACE Scholarships regarding this Supreme Court case. It's Espinoza versus the Mon- uh, Montana uh, Department of Revenue. Ross Izzard, welcome. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. So I want to hear about the case. But first of all, Ross, uh, you're the director of policy with ACE Scholarships. What is ACE Scholarships exactly? Yeah, sure. So uh, ACE Scholarships is a charity based here in Denver that provides uh, K-12 private school scholarships to low-income kids. So I've been doing that in Colorado since 2000. Today we've got eight states, about 7,000 kiddos on scholarships, going to 700 private schools. So it's a a big network of folks that we're able to help, and it's awesome work. I'm happy to be with them. Wow. And uh, you're the director of policy. So you said you have seven or eight states now, huh? Eight states, yeah. Okay. So I uh, I live in a little bit of a different bucket of the charity. So I do uh, any kind of policy work, legislative work, regulatory, uh, basically any, anything that has to do with public policy or government falls into uh, my realm, which means I get to work on some pretty interesting stuff, including this case. Well, this is really fascinating. So it's Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue. So set this up for us, Ross. What is it exactly? Yeah, so... Basically, this case, and I, I think there, it merits some historical background, which we can get into in a second, but the, uh, the case itself is a relatively small case out of Montana. Montana has a, a scholarship tax credit program, which basically provides a tax credit to folks who give uh, to charities like ACE. So if you were to put your money toward a scholarship for a qualifying family, you would get a tax credit back from the state for that contribution. In Montana, the credit is very small, uh, but it's still a program that's out there and, and helping a number of kids. So... Basically, they passed this program, and it was written in a way to include all private schools. So if you wanted to go to a Christian private school, whether that's Protestant or Catholic, that was fine. If you'd rather go to a Jewish school, that's fine. If you'd rather go to a non-religious school, that was okay, too. Um, And it was written in a way to be as inclusive as possible, sort of to recognize the fact that every kid and every family is looking for something different. Uh, The Montana Department of Revenue threw a wrench into that by saying that religious schools could not participate because of a small clause buried down in the Montana State Constitution that says that no aid can flow to, quote, sectarian schools or institutions. So that's something called a Blaine Amendment that's in 38 states across the country. Montana is one of them, and it has one of the strictest. Uh, and the, the, basically the department said, look, you can't take this to religious schools, which instantly cuts out a big percentage of folks, uh, of schools in the, in the universe, the provider universe, and also told the families that they weren't able to use their scholarships where they wanted to. So the families challenged them. Uh, they brought a case against the department. They worked their way up to the Montana Supreme Court, uh, where they actually, for the first time in American history, these tax credit programs get challenged on a pretty regular basis. And uh, until now, had always been upheld on the basis that tax credits don't constitute government appropriations. But in this case, the court surprised everybody and struck it down, uh, which has created this really interesting and, and pretty unique situation where we can now take the issue of the state Blaine amendments, those pieces of language that deny aid to uh, the, quote, sectarian institutions, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which, as Kim, I know, as you know, we've been trying to do for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the Supreme Court just recently said that they're going to take the case. They're actually going to sit down, hear it, 
uh, and deal with this issue, which has been plaguing America for really the better part of two centuries now. So, yeah, this is pretty historical. So you mentioned you were surprised on this then, huh, that, that they took this? Yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. So we, um, you know, going back to Douglas County a couple of years ago, which I'm sure many folks remember, there was a big case that dealt with the same issue out of Colorado then. Uh, that was sort of the cleanest shot that we had ever had of, of getting this legal question settled and answered. Uh, that didn't play out the way that we wanted it to with the school board election, and the case ultimately didn't make it. Um, this was the next best chance, and everybody sort of wrote it off because we assumed, you know, these programs are built in such a way, and they've been tested so many times legally. The general assumption was that the court just wouldn't go there, that they were going to follow legal precedent, uphold the program, and kind of that would be that. Uh, the fact that they broke with that legal precedent, I mean, there are, reams and reams of legal writing on this issue that they had to break with to get where they got uh, when they struck down the program. It was a big surprise and actually a, a really awesome surprise. So, you know, you don't usually like to lose in court, but this was one of those situations where when the uh, ruling came down and we saw that we had lost, there was sort of some dancing in the hallways because it was almost a miracle that it went that way, and now we can get that appeal up to SCOTUS. Okay, well, let's stop right there and, and give us the history on this Blaine Amendment. It's absolutely fascinating what happened with it. So uh, what happened to get the Blaine Amendment into the constitutions of 38 states? Yeah, thanks. I, uh, interesting story for sure. So um, I think the best way to start with it is probably to go back to 1874, uh, which was a massive Democratic wave election, which I know folks have been talking about in the modern era over the last couple of years. But this was a, a real wave election where we had more than 90 seats in the House change hands between Republicans and mostly Southern Democrats. Um, the South was reconstructed and sort of flexing its political muscle at the time. And uh, basically there was a situation there where the Republicans had lost the House, they had lost some seats in the Senate, they were very worried with the uh, Grant administration and the scandals it was facing that they could lose the presidency in 1876. So they were looking around for issues that they could use to get out there and really win themselves some voters. One of the biggest issues after a big wave of Catholic immigration in the 1850s was sort of how they were going to handle all of these Europeans with Catholic beliefs who were coming into a largely Protestant uh, country with largely Protestant public schools at the time. And uh, President Grant actually grabbed onto that, gave a speech that sort of tagged into what they called the school question. And I think that's a – folks don't realize that the school choice issue has been going for hundreds of years. Um, so even back in the 1800s, we were having these arguments about where money could go, which schools kids could attend. Um, and President Grant actually grabbed onto that, gave a speech calling for a total ban on any ability for folks to take their money to, quote, sectarian schools – uh, which at the time, just so folks understand, sectarian was a pejorative word. It was something that was meant to denote heresy or folks who believed things that were sort of uh, icky and apart from the mainstream, and most importantly was really kind of considered a euphemism for Catholic. That was the way that the word was used. Um, so President Grant called for it. That led a uh, ambitious congressman who had been Speaker of the House but lost his seat named James G. Blaine, to offer an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that would have put the same language banning aid to sectarian institutions into the Constitution of the United States. He lost that amendment. He ultimately lost his bid for the presidency, which he was hoping to grab the nomination out of this. Uh, but the result of these two guys trying to get the Republicans into a spot where they could win in 1876 was that they really reinvigorated this conversation about sectarian schools and aid to kids attending sectarian schools. 
So as states started coming into the Union, uh, Colorado obviously joined in 1876. Uh, there were many other states that came in around that time or thereafter. And all of these states coming in sort of read the political tea leaves and understood that this was a major issue for the administration. It was something that they needed to be paying attention to, and it was in line with public opinion. Uh, so they started adopting these Blaine Amendments. Some of them predated it, but a lot of them came after. And by the time we were all said and done, you had 38 states with some version of this amendment on the books which for those of us who work on educational choice and who believe the kids ought to be able to pick whichever school they want, whether that's public, private, charter, home, whatever, uh, it has been a real stumbling block. So the idea that we have a chance to finally sit down and deal with this question that's been around for you know, well over 150 years now and settle it and get kids the help they need is, is massive. It's hard to overstate how huge it is. So, I mean, this is huge. So you say this is going to settle this question. It very well could, yeah. I mean, so it's always hard to say how the court's going to rule, and I, you know, candidly, uh, Justice Roberts is not always the most reliable on these issues, uh, but I think that with the new court composition, I mean, it looks far different today even than it did in 2017 during the Douglas County case. Uh, you know, I, I think that they are in a position to go out there and really deal with it. I think that there is a desire among at least a few of the key justices on the court to actually do that, and so I think there's a real shot that they could. Okay. And so, Ross, I I think we're going to go to break here, but um, I want to talk about why it is so important that families be able to have the choice on where their kids go to school, because every child is different and they learn differently. And uh, there's been such a a stumbling block for people to get to do that. And uh, certainly the cost of education is one of the reasons. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, let's talk about why uh, it is so important that families be able to choose where their children go to school. We'll be right back with Ross Izzard. He's the director of policy with ACE Scholarships. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person, and children under 12 are free. Friday, July 5th through Thursday, July 11th, features will include Toy Story 4, Godzilla, and Aladdin. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special? Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88 drive You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. We're having a conversation with Ross Izzard, who's the director of policy with uh, A Scholarship. Before we do that, though, Patty, our researcher, she got this answer for us, Steve, regarding uh, the Hickenlooper story, okay? 
She said at a CNN town hall this past March, uh, Governor Hickenlooper told a story that he was going to see Deep Throat with a friend. At the last minute, he asked his mom, and she said yes. This happened while he was in college in 1972. He said at the time he didn't know that it was an X-rated movie and thought Deep Throat was just a little naughty. So there's your clarification on that, Steve. Oh, boy, I can I can get through the rest of the day now. Thank you, Patty. Okay, yeah. We always like to make sure that we get everything clarified. So sorry about that, Ross, but we had talked about that, and we always like to get the whole story, and we didn't didn't have the facts on that, so now we do. Okay, school choice, the, the ability for families to be able to choose where their children go to school. Why is this so important? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I so first thing that we should say is that a lot of families can, right? So there are a lot of folks who are, are doing well, who are fairly affluent and, and doing okay in the financial world, who already sort of do this, right? So they move to neighborhoods that have the schools that they want, or they can drive to the schools that they want to attend. If they'd like to do a private school, they can pay tuition. So, you know, school choice, at least for the folks who are, are out there and, and well off, is already a reality and something that they understand pretty innately. Um, but there are a lot of folks who can't do that, right? And so I think sometimes it's easy when you're one of the people who was fortunate enough to be able to buy a house in a good district and access the schools that you want to sort of forget that there are a great many hundreds of thousands of people in this state, in Colorado, much less the millions across the country, who just don't have those opportunities. So they are in schools that you know, maybe aren't working for them just in general, whether or not they're good schools. It could be that they're being bullied. It might be that the schools are teaching uh, you know, beliefs or philosophies or ways of thinking that their parents or their families disagree with that aren't in alignment with their value systems. Or in the worst cases, it could be that they're not safe, right? They could be in a school where uh, they're in danger of being hurt or falling into criminal activity. It could be that they can't learn how to read or write there. Uh, there are a lot of bad situations out there for folks where it's just not a good fit for the child one way or the other. Um, and ACE comes at it from the perspective of every single family in America should be able to go out and pick the school that works for them. Um, and we're completely agnostic about what that looks like. So you could go and pick a traditional public school if you'd like to go to your neighborhood school. We think that's great. If you'd like to go to a public charter school, that's awesome. You can pick whichever model you want. Maybe it's uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Maybe it's uh, an art school or a language school, whatever you need. But we also think that, you know, private schools, which for a long time, because they charge tuition, have been the domain only of folks who could really afford that tuition, should be accessible to anybody who would like them. And it might be that they pick them because they like the value structure of a Christian education or any other type of religious education. Or it could just be that they're looking for smaller class sizes or a school that's safer. It could be any of those things. But I think the short version is that we can't really presume what a family needs, right? I mean, parents know best what their children need. Families know what works for them and what doesn't. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, school choice is really just the idea that we ought to be opening as many doors as we can and sort of getting out of the way so that folks can make the calls that they need to make for their children and, and their families. Well, you know, Ross, one of the things that you hear people say, though, that if uh, families have the choice on where they send their children to school, then the school in the neighborhood um, might lose students and might eventually close down, thereby that might hurt uh, the remaining kids, how would you respond to that? Yeah, um, that comes up pretty frequently. So I think the first thing that I would say is that, um, as I mentioned earlier, this already happens all the time, right? So Colorado is an open enrollment state. Uh, you can enroll in a public school that's not your assigned public school, both inside your school district and outside your school district. Uh, you could choose to homeschool. You could choose to move to another state. There's a whole bunch of stuff that has kids moving around all the time by the tens of thousands. So uh, the idea of, of enrollment changes is 
number one, not new, and number two, certainly not something that the schools don't cope with on a daily basis. I think the second part of that is that even the largest private school choice programs in the country, so if you look at, say, Florida's tax credit program where you've got about 100,000 kids participating and about $700 million a year there, even there you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% of the student population. So we're not talking about 50% of the kids leaving their public schools and going to a private school. It's a relatively small percentage. And then the last thing I would say is just, you know, you kind of get to a place where you have to start thinking about the question of ownership, right? So kids who go to a public school, I think sometimes there's a mindset that the public school somehow has a claim on those children and the money that comes from the state to educate them, and they really don't, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if the child isn't there, whether that's because they moved away or they decided to homeschool or they open enrolled out of the district or because they went to a private school, the simple fact of the matter is that that money doesn't belong to the district if the student isn't there. So I think the idea that it would be catastrophic for public schools for a few kids to be able to pick something better, uh, probably not going to happen. And certainly we haven't seen it happen in the 25 or 30 years that we've been doing private school choice programs in the country. Uh, but number two, even if that were the case, I think you kind of get back to the question of what's more important, the sort of financial well-being of the system that may not be serving everybody well or the well-being of the child who deserves the education that they need. Okay. Uh, thank you for that explanation. But another question or another issue that comes up is that uh, some of these families uh, that their kids are going to the neighborhood school, they would not have the ability to get their kids to another school. They don't have that that opportunity because maybe both parents work or whatever. And so it's not fair, again, that uh, some kids get to, to drive to a school that works for them where these other kids may be stuck because there is no, uh, you know, school transportation to get them to uh, a, a school that they might want to go to. How would you address that? Right. Yeah, no, that's a big one. Transportation is a, is a really big one and one that's tough to solve with public policy. So um, it's true enough that, you know, folks need to make their transportation schedules work both with home and, and with their work schedules. And it's um, it can be challenging. It's challenging for me and my family. And there are certainly cases where folks can't sort of put the pieces together in a way that makes sense on that. Um, in some cases, folks get around that by busing, particularly with charter schools. So public charter schools will, in some districts, actually bus kids back and forth to sort of help alleviate that. Some private school scholarship programs actually include transportation scholarships that can't mitigate the, the time or the hassle of you having to go and do it. There's really no way for government to fix that. Uh, but they do provide scholarships to folks so that they can use it to cover the cost of gas, or if they're going to do public transportation, they could use it to cover that or carpool. Um, so there are sort of small things that we can do to nibble around those edges. I think, you know, largely the issue of transportation and geography is something that uh, is very tough for government to solve with public policy. So I spent a lot of time on that issue, but I would be lying if I said that I had the perfect solution to the transportation question this morning. But, you know, Ross, I think that where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, I think that people can get creative. They can they can take turns on on getting kids to school. I mean, I think that... I think that people are innovative and creative enough that generally they can get that figured out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, every day millions of families do, um, including mine. And it's a, it's a process. Your kids go to different schools and they're spread out. And sometimes you've got to drive out of the way to get to the school that's right for you. And, um, you know, it's not always the most convenient. But, yes, in a lot of cases you make it work. In those few cases where you can't make it work, uh, you know, I always hope to put some supports in place to help how we can. But, 
Uh, you're right. I mean, if you really, really want your child at that school and that's what he or she needs, I think an awful lot of parents will say, well, I'll just do what I have to do to make that happen. Okay. Thank you. I, I'd like to go over, we have just a few minutes left, and that is uh, Douglas County. Uh, several years ago, there was a, a Douglas County School Board has been in the news, and um, and there was a very big school board race a few years ago. Uh, when, in essence, it was, it was for the marbles of the Blaine Amendment. Uh, there had been something that had been challenged, and it was, I mean, it was to the Supreme Court, wasn't it, Ross? I can't remember. It seems like it was. And the new school board then just pulled that, that back, and so th- there was never a ruling on that question. Yeah, that's exactly right. So basically there was a, a case out of Douglas County that dealt with their local voucher program. It was the first of its kind in the country, that program. It worked its way up to the Colorado Supreme Court. It was struck down by the Colorado Supreme Court and then appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's where it got interesting. So the U.S. Supreme Court technically took the case, but they issued a grant vacate and remand order, which basically said that they took the case for two seconds, uh, vacated the decision, and then remanded it back to the Colorado Supreme Court for further consideration. So they never actually dealt with it. They sort of dodged this issue completely. Um, That was before, obviously, the new justices were sort of in place. But they kicked it back down and punted it, and that set up the school board election that you mentioned, where now you've got this massive case with this just enormous historical significance attached to it and a school board majority that was sort of hanging on by a thread. So the folks on the side of school choice, the conservative side, needed to keep all four seats and unfortunately weren't able to do that. The result was that the new board, who hated this program and everything to do with it, uh, decided to go ahead and, and repeal the program in the books, which basically made the case moot, right? Courts are, number one, already not looking to jump into this issue because it's sticky. And number two, we're sort of given this easy out because they could say, well, look, the program doesn't exist anymore. This is a waste of time. We're just not going to go there. Um, and that's exactly what happened. They basically mooted the case, and it was tossed out for being irrelevant because the program no longer existed, which put us back in the limbo of, okay, well, we've still got to get this question answered. How are we going to do it? And that's where the Montana case comes in. Which is absolutely fascinating. Now, let's talk a bit about education. ACE Scholarships, you know, is doing fabulous work in helping families get their kids into schools that work best for their families. But you can never take, you know, get back second grade. You can never get back third grade. And Ross, what I've seen happening in education, I am the beneficiary of a a really good public education, really more along the classical sense. I graduated where I I can run a household, I can, you know, balance a checkbook, I can write a sentence, I can speak most of the time. Sometimes on Monday morning, it's a a little interesting here on the radio, but, but... had the tools that would allow me to to go after, you know, pursue my happiness. And uh, what I have seen happening as I watch some of the education and some of the results is that we are graduating kids that cannot read and write, that do not have a sense of history. I mean, I used to watch jaywalking on um, Jay Leno and kind of laugh because it was kind of funny that people wouldn't understand that. But I see some of these programs now where they're out on the street asking people things like basic things, like who was our first president? And people don't know that. What is happening in, in public education? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those those videos are terrifying, no doubt. Um, I think, you know, you go back to some of it is reading and writing, and I think that those skills are something that, 
you know, a lot of our schools will take a kid who is two or three, sometimes four or five grade levels behind, and they do yeoman's work getting that child up to speed as much as they can so that they can leave at least with the very basic skill sets that they need to be able to survive, right? I mean, at that point, it, it isn't even really about being able to get out and succeed. It's about just being able to make it uh, with the basic skills that you have so that you can live independently. On the civic side, though, when you're talking about those interviews that you see, that's a big problem. And I think, you know, folks forget that the public education system was founded really with the idea of building virtuous citizens. It was about making people who could live in a republic and engage in self-government in a thoughtful and intelligent way. And we've sort of gotten away from that, um, in part because schools have more and more focused on the math and reading side of things, and in part because a lot of schools just aren't doing a good job of imparting that sort of knowledge to folks. So. Uh, you know, part of the school choice angle that we don't talk about very often is the fact that private schools very often do a better job of, of inculcating civic values and getting folks familiar with both American government and their role in American government than some of the public schools do, which uh, is concerning considering how many millions of kids are in public schools, but we're working on it. Slowly. Well, that's that's what's important. So, Ross Izzard, thank you so much. And uh, education, this is our quote for today. Education is what remains after one has forgotten what has one what has one what has learned in school. That's Albert Einstein. So today, remember to read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.